Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm going to go ahead and execute the preemptive strike here. This movie ended with a Creed song. And I was here for it. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> Alex kept, during the credits, he kept being like, this is my story. <laughs> uh, and I'm Britton. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the time we've got for. Yeah, this week. I I um, can't carry the joke load every week, guys. Come <laughs> on, we we we're a team over here. Uh, we we are barreling right along. We're halfway. Are we about halfway? We're over. We're halfway. More than halfway. Yeah. We've got six more movies to go. Five more movies to go. Yeah, we got five to go, and this is number seven. So yeah, we we just crossed the the threshold. Just crossed a little Rubicon there. All right. Um. There we go. How's everybody feeling? We... Let's do let's do a check-in. Let's how's everybody yeah. feeling? How's everybody doing with, with the Halloween movies? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, uh about yeah. about as well as I expected. Um I, I'm more concerned about the two of y'all. Yeah, this I might think... be one of the worst mo- uh, franchises we've done for me. Tyler, how are you doing oh. with Halloween? <laughs> Spicy take. I am into the Halloween. I'm all yeah. I'm all bought in. Um uh, we were talking beforehand. I like the fact that these movies are they're very light on that's, screen time. You can true. you can squeeze them in oh. and you know go watch a better movie, read some comics, you know whatever you want to do. Um, afterwards, after after spending a night watching one, which may or may not end up being a good experience, but you get it out of the way pretty quickly. That's very true. Um, no, I, I I am genuinely, as we will discuss, I'm genuinely very invested in this at this point. <laughs> and, like the the continuity between these movies fascinates me. So we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not angry at them. I just, I, it's so, I don't know, man. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> we've done plenty of franchises I'm ambivalent about, and that's ultimately where I'm gonna fall with this. But there have been a few times in this where I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> but also, I feel like other franchises have been more of a slog because other franchises, like there were things about them that bothered me, maybe, or that I was just so bored. And this one, like. And they're fun to record. They're fun to talk about, if nothing else. So even if the mm-hmm. experience is fairly humdrum of, of watching it, doing a podcast about it is pretty enjoyable. And this is, I, well, we'll talk about it, <laughs> won't we? But what is this one? Well, yeah, the it that we're going to talk about uh, is not a adaptation of Stephen King's novel. It it is uh, Halloween H twenty twenty years later. Potentially yes. also pronounced as H2O, however, it is a zero. Yes, we were we were debating this uh before we started recording. I've I've heard everyone call it Halloween H2O, so I, I don't know. Um it's it's a terrible title. It's maybe regardless it it, it might be the worst title I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah regardless I don't know about that. <laughs> for me. What's your contender? For worst movie title? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I have a real uh, uh, thorn in my side for these movies that are just vague sentences turned into movie titles. Like, hmm. how about you? And how? Where? Where is this? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> movies like that. You know that movie? Where is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's the movie people are asking for. In no, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, and followed by it. its its equally uh, infamous sequel. Where's that? <laughs> <laughs> That was a good joke. Um, 
Halloween H20, 20 years. I don't like for me, this title is like, it loops back around to being enjoyable. It's so bad. Like the so bad it's sure. not the movie itself, but the, the title is so ridiculous. I'm like, all right, we can go with this. See, I, for me personally, it does seal the fact that this movie franchise has the worst titles. Um, I think the fact that they continuously attempt to evolve. Yeah. Especially in those early ones where they were like, okay, these are Roman numerals. Actually, we're going to switch to regular numbers. Um, actually we're going to switch to not having any number but it's still a sequel yeah to actually we're gonna uh completely reboot everything and we're gonna give this thing like three titles that are that all take up one headline yeah um well, it's something well and, it's and the fact something. that we discussed this but the fact that three of them are called halloween is exactly ridiculous. yes yeah I, I, is, I do think it's the worst naming convention even if i second, enjoy it is the second rob zombie movie it's Halloween, Halloween what, what, 2 with a Roman numeral 2. So it's the same as... It's the same, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. You just have to look for the excess of orange in the poster. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and probably Is that a movie that was designed generic, to... I was going to say some generic uh, dumb tagline like family is forever <laughs> or something, sure. which I'm pretty sure is actually the tagline for that. I was going to say, is that like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot where the entire point is to trick people into clicking on it when they're going to buy the, the movie on or rent the movie on Amazon Prime? Probably. Mm. We, we will evaluate. Yeah, there probably um, are a lot of those movies, huh? Are, are you guys sure you want another Jessica Biel franchise movie? What was the what? What was the other Blade, one? Blade Trinity. Oh, yeah, because it's totally... She wrote that movie. You're right. <laughs> Can we... I've got to connect these somehow, Britton. While, while we're talking about this, because otherwise we're just going to rehash this conversation every time we start a new podcast. Um, Halloween Resurrection came out in 2002. Yeah. Alien Resurrection came out in 1997. What What are we doing here? Why, why are you using the same generic subtitle that close to another franchise that has completely fallen off the deep end? Like, what? What do you. What is the logic? Why, why do why do people think that work? And then wait a minute. When did. Uh, no, the, the, there is no Matrix Re- Resurrection. OK, that's no, the I, new one. I talked. Yeah, I talked myself into that existing as one of the, the, the original. Three. There is okay. Mechanic Resurrection starring Jason Statham. Sure. Alex, talk about the things with the movie. Uh, sure. Uh, Halloween H2O 20 years later. I'll stick with the H2O for right now. That's what I'm accustomed to. And I don't like change. Directed by <laughs> sure. Steve Miner from 1998. It has a 52% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 49% audience score. And you may think hearing those, oh, those are both, you know, technically they fall in the rotten range. That's that's pretty bad. I, I bet this movie's pretty bad. Uh, go and compare it to the scores of the last, Yeah. oh, I don't know, four, five films. <laughs> basically everything after the first one yeah before before we started recording i was telling alex that this movie really benefits from me having just watched halloween two three four five and six (laughs) Mm -hmm. like Mm that that did this movie a lot of favors (laughs) um yeah but that said should i go ahead and do my thing uh sure you know do my thing you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. 
here you we know, go. Just, that's my favorite movie of the early 2000s. Do my thing. Do, do, do that thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's sequel. Do that thing. <laughs> do that thing. Um, do our thing. Goodness. Um, and then the trilogy to wrap it all together. Do these things. <laughs> do these things. That was yeah. Um, and then the the uh, TV show Things Done. <laughs> my so my uh, my best thing about this movie is three words: Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh yeah. Oh wow. JGL. Um, I like I said, I I don't, as a, as an overall movie, I think it's fine. It's probably about on par with how I felt about Halloween 2, the first Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I do not think it's anything stellar, but I think it's fine. It doesn't do that much that's overtly, like, wrong for, to me. It's just that even the bare level of competence after the last few movies is like, oh, my goodness, I'm watching a real movie. Um, but also, JGL is only at the beginning of this movie as Jimmy, uh, uh, just a kid with another friend who is... His friend looks like the stock model for Buddy in a n- late '90s, early 2000s movie. Just like that's what it, that's that guy. Mm-hmm. He's just a but. He's he's the buddy, and they are hockey loving Illinois boys who, mm-hmm. when a lady gets uh, uh, her house broken into, she goes to them for help. And so you know, JGL goes into the house and he has this amazing line. Where he says he's he thinks there's somebody there and he's got his hockey stick and he says, "Come on, you know whoever whoever's in here, show yourself." And he says, "Jimmy's been suspended five times this semester for getting a little too crazy with the stick," <laughs> and it's the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> there's a good there's a good he like slams the stick yeah. on the ground. It's a it's a resonating. Uh, oh, it's so blow. funny. It's quite good. And it's he's just a, he's really fun in in that scene. He also gets the and credit in this movie. This movie, which features mm. Academy Award nominee Scream Queen uh, extraordinaire uh, Janet Lee, gets a character credit. And then it says, with LL Cool J and Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> as Jimmy. Which is great. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt is found dead with ice skate stuffed into his face. Pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. So I just found his character really fun. My worst thing is, um, I feel like, I feel like I had some comment about the movie's structure, maybe. Mm. It does feel like the movie sets up itself for about an hour, or like maybe 50 minutes, and then you get about 26 minutes of movie. (laughs) Um, having said that, my actual, the thing that actually bothered me the most about the movie, and this ultimately a compliment, is Adam Arkin's kissing sounds. (laughs) I don't like kissing sounds. I don't like lip smacking noises. Uh, sorry, Justin McElroy and Griffin McElroy. I don't like. Um, I don't like. I don't like it. I don't like. I don't like slurping sounds. Mm-hmm. I don't like any of that. Sometimes I hear my roommate and his girlfriend kiss goodbye. It makes me want to throw a shoe at the wall. It's. I just. It's like misophonia to me. I hate lip smacking sounds. When Adam Arkin is kissing on Jamie Lee Curtis in the movie and eating at the same time, by the way, he's kissing on her, and then they talk for a minute, but he's chewing something. So that's not cool, Adam Arkin. And uh, that whole thing, I just, I didn't like any of it. Just kiss quiet. That's my PSA. He just, yeah. he just had a, a bowl of delicious red vines right off screen. <laughs> he, was, he was snacking out of whenever it cut to <laughs> he, was, he, he was still enjoying it. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, kiss quieter. And that's why I'm running for office. Who's next? He, uh, 
he may have gotten uh, horribly stabbed through the gut by Michael Myers, but you know what? He died full of red vines. So that's <laughs> all we can really hope for. I, I, I like to imagine most people complain about like back when cable TV was a thing. Remember that? Like, oh, the volume yeah. difference between the show and the right. commercial was crazy. But that's just Britain with kissing sounds. Like everything else is normal, and then anyone starts kissing, he's just like, I cannot deal yeah. with this. You're you're not that far off. <laughs> not that, it's not that I need them to be silent. I just don't need them to be that loud and like <laughs> suctiony. Uh, it's like you're I, a grown up. Come on. <laughs> couple of things I wanted to point out about your uh, best thing, just to give some some context for people. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is only in the opening scene, and yeah. he dies in the opening scene. Yeah, correct. The okay. second point is the nurse from the first two movies, the smoking nurse, that is the the lady who is um, coming back home. Is it the same actress? Yes. yes. Oh, awesome. Okay. I didn't put that together. How cool. Yeah. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Tyler? Do you want to go first? Because I feel like I, I can spin off into sure conversation for mine sure uh my best thing is going to be the cast overall yes um i think even despite not everyone getting wonderful material to work with i think everyone shines fairly well obviously this is kind of the jamie lee curtis show uh she's the reason this uh was a theatrical release and i can talk a little bit about behind the scenes um but she's absolutely wonderful in this uh, it kind of deals with the stuff that I was hoping that Halloween 2 would deal more with in terms of her having PTSD and having to kind of overcome that. Uh, I like the relationship she has with Josh Hartnett as her son. I think that character could have become very, very annoying. Yes. But I think Josh mm-hmm. Hartnett, just through his acting, is able to keep that character grounded. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's, he's an underrated actor, Josh Hartnett. Yeah. And... LL Cool J's in it, and he's delightful, yeah, and, he's and mm-hmm. a breath of fresh air, and I, I love that they didn't kill him. They had a fake yeah. out. That would have sucked if they killed him. There's a Roy Wood Jr., uh, one of the Daily Show correspondents, did a, a bit once, a segment about black actors dying in movies and how it's such a, a trope, and he said, but one actor has risen above this, LL Cool J. <laughs> And he was talking about all these movies that LL Cool J, like in Deep Blue really? Sea and, you know, how, obviously this Halloween and various other movies, like he makes it out. <laughs> he survives like LL Cool J tends to tends to live, um, which is great. Somebody has to host lip sync battle. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Michelle Williams is in this. Um, she doesn't mm-hmm. make all that much of an impression, I feel, but I, I think no. that might just be the material. I don't yeah, think that's yeah. necessarily on her. And the kid who plays the younger version of Robin Williams in Jumanji plays uh, Josh Hartnett's best friend, yeah. uh, Adam Han Bird. And he's fun. Yeah. I like <laughs> that guy. And I liked him in Jumanji. Get me more of that guy. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the cast. And one of the unfortunate things, particularly with horror movies, is oftentimes you get a very wonderful cast together. And even if a good many of them survive, most of them are not going to be in the sequel. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah. we'll get there. <laughs> sure. Um, my worst thing is going to be, I, I think the movie does a good job overall in kind of justifying itself taking place so long after 
the other films and kind of just uh, sweeping the the other sequels under the rug and, and just kind of ignoring those. I think this actually makes a decent case for doing so, particularly because the last couple of movies sucked as much as I, I got some entertainment out of them. They sucked. They're bad. Let's just I, I understand. I think the excuse for Michael coming back is very, very weak and kind of stupid. And that feels like a last minute rewrite to just try and string something together. And I basically the idea is that um, so he killed his sister originally when she was 17. He attacked Lori in the first film when she was 17. And now Josh Hartnett who plays her son. He is 17 in, in the film. So that is why he has come back to attack. So I guess he's just been lying low for the last 20 years, just waiting for what happens if Lori didn't have a child? I guess Michael's just in a coma for eternity. I don't Take know. Take his ball and go home. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, um, yes. I'm glad that they kept it kind of vague and, and didn't really delve into the details of that because obviously we, we did that and it sucked. Uh, <clears throat> so maybe it's better that they just like, we we got the one excuse. It's fine. He's back. It's classic Michael Myers. Just, just, just don't worry about it. It's not genetic engineering. It's not a cult. It's not any of that. Just don't worry about it, guys. Um, but it was still, give me a little bit more or don't give me anything. Just be like, Michael Myers is back. And have a couple of throwaway lines of like, we have no idea why he's back. Yeah. Yeah. He's back because really... there's a new movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. My best thing about this, which you touched on, Alex, is that I think <clears throat> this does a really great job of addressing. Um, yeah, like the, the, the trauma of the events of the original one and they make it a lot they take it a lot more seriously than some of the like four or five and six basically um where they i I mean i liked four a lot and i think four has a lot of fun with the the way it takes that premise but four is a lot more like oh there's all these people who are now gonna rise up against michael myers when he shows up again because they're all on edge and um kind of turned into a big like oh we've got to make this a, a manhunt um this one is a lot more grounded in the way that Jamie Lee Curtis, as Lori showed, has to deal with how much she her life is messed up because she watched her friends get horribly murdered and like barely escape this, uh, and has spent the rest of her life terrified that he was going to show up again because she's seen him die multiple times and still be able to come back. Um and then the way that affects her son as well in terms of her son having to basically be her caretaker, deal with her medicine, deal with uh, her just general insecurities and inability to let go of him, which is very understandable. And I think the movie does a good job of making both characters feel uh, fleshed out from their own perspectives. Yeah. Where Lori is very uh, broken and just haunted by everything that's happened. The number of times that she gets just horribly freaked out when somebody walks up behind her, I think is pretty effective. I think that could have gotten old um, if it was handled with less nuance or not even nuance, but um, if it wasn't tied into that, that being a storyline throughout the entire movie. 
And because it is, it it really works to show how much she just cannot get Michael Myers out of her head. Uh, and I think it makes the finale more effective. I, I have some quibbles with the finale. It'll, it'll kind of tie into my worst thing. Um, but it makes it effective that she's like, you know what? I am facing him down and I need to just like, whatever happens, I'm going to attempt to confront and kill him. And, you know, what happens will happen. Um, I think that really works. I, I like that as a through line for a character. I'm really excited to watch how her character, I know having seen Halloween 2018, um, the, it's really interesting that her character continues to evolve across the movies that she is in, despite the fact that they're not in the same timeline. Uh, obviously this one, I mean, I guess this one's in the same timeline as the first two, but just the fact that we, we went down that entire other branch without her and totally falling just Loomis and then swung back and managed to still have her be really effective and take a lot of the Michael Myers legacy that we got from the other movies, whatever the quality of those movies might be and carry that over so that we, this feels effective and this feels like a big confrontation. Um, so I'm excited to watch that continue to manage to grow despite the insanity of the franchise and how much it bounces around between continuity and, uh, the way that Michael Myers continues to come back, that sort of thing. Um, my worst thing is Michael Myers. Mm. I think, for one, the mask, yeah, ma- masks that he uses in this are bad. Yeah, they look weird. The He's got like the hair sticks out a lot and looks silly. It, it's sort of a um, uh, be- beaker from uh (laughs) because he's he's also kind of lanky like his he doesn't seem as like what's the word i'm looking for stocky yeah uh the the first there the michael meyer through the first six movies is pretty stock or first five movies not counting three is kind of a stocky guy um and the way he's portrayed in this is just a dude who can show up and murder a person yeah and that's what he does. Uh, there is not the, the sense of him being somebody who will plot and plan and uh, won't won't rush to get after a victim. They will. He will walk very calmly and continue on his path and and be this relentless, unstoppable force. I feel like that's entirely gone. I feel like this movie he is constantly basically teleporting around um, between various locations to get to people. Uh, And the, that's so much of what makes him interesting in the other movies for me, that he is this monster who will not stop and will take his time. And I've, I've mentioned before how much it's, I I enjoy when they give him fun pranks to do and things on people, like the way he messes with people. Uh, and this one, I, I feel like he doesn't really do that at all. Um, aside, he he hangs down from the ceiling at one point with one hand. He like lifts himself up and does like a one arm chin up, yeah. and then like waits for Lori to walk under him, and then drops down. And it's weird. He's he's he looks too powerful. And the Michael Myers in the first run of movies looks very or never looks effortless. He always looks like he is a man who is struggling through this, but somehow he just keeps coming. Yeah. Um, and 
the way the strength of him is kind of portrayed is a lot more along those lines as someone who's, um, I don't know. He's not quick, I guess is, is what I'm getting at. And I feel like this one really leans into that and makes him feel a lot more generic as a, I don't know, serial killer monster guy, uh, like a Jason or, or something like that. I actually haven't seen, I think any of the Jason movies, but, um, maybe at some point we'll watch those. Probably not. And I can, uh, determine how I feel about it. But yeah, I, speaking of which, I think the director of this directed the second and third one, right? Yes. So maybe that's where that's coming from. But yeah, I, I did not like the way he was portrayed. I feel like he was not nearly as interesting a villain to me in this one as he was in the others. Um, <clears throat> even the bad others. <laughs> and that disappointed me because he, I, that is a big reason why I've found myself really invested in this franchise. And I have a feeling that, uh, once we finally get back around to Halloween 2018, I'm probably going to be totally in love with that movie for the way it handles him. <laughs> I definitely, I, I do agree. I think that I, what, what I found so scary about him in the first movie is it's sort of like in comparison when you're when you see like a movie or a video game or something like you're in a a, a cramped like uh hallway or something and there's a wall of spikes mm-hmm. just slowly coming towards you mm-hmm. it's like that that michael myers is just he's just going to keep relentlessly coming forward and that you can outwit him you can put stuff in his way you can shoot him or whatever but he's he's just going to keep coming and he's not necessarily yeah, I don't know. In this movie, he does like he moves really quickly and stuff, and it's like no, it's it's not quite the the wall of violence that that he yeah. he can be. I also uh, you saying that made me re- realize I need um, one of those like nerdy t shirt companies like Redbubble or something to do a shirt that's Michael this Michael Myers and uh, Doctor Loomis as Beaker and Doctor Bunsen Honeydew <laughs> would be pretty great. Yeah. That's oh yes, Beaky. I think. We- Oh, no, 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 Beaky, Mikey. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that'd be pretty fun. Um, and yeah, Jimmy Lee Curtis is the rock of this franchise. Like, we all enjoyed Donald Pleasance, obviously, but like, she's still so good in this. And she mm-hmm. has this rare quality in in actors that she always feels like a human being. And obviously, actors are human beings, but some of them come off so much like movie stars or, yeah. or actors but she there's always this like no that's a person there's like a heartbeat and a soul and a brain like she's like a she feels very much like somebody you could just run into in the world like mm-hmm. tiffany haddish has that too and and i just really enjoy watching her in general um and she's really she's really good in this i i will say i get more concerned about her in this movie because she obviously Jimmy Lee Curtis famously wears her hair very short. My mother wears her hair very short. <laughs> and so there's like scenes in this movie where she's like is shot from behind her and there's Michael Myers. And I'm like, no, Michael, that's my mom. Leave her alone. <laughs> Don't do that to her. Uh, and also um, we, we, we can actually discuss this when we get to it, but I will say the ending of this movie is genuinely wonderful to me. Like the, the final, the final moment is, yes, is quite, cathartic and good um yeah we we can get into that too because apparently that was a bit of a fight behind the scenes interesting <laughs> interesting yeah i uh, i actually had that spoiled for me but i i still quite liked it uh and to touch on what you both have said i i think that 
I like that this movie takes Laurie's PTSD more seriously and in a weird way more believably that like mm-hmm. it manifests in her sometimes maybe hallucinating and more maybe seeing Michael Myers is for us to it may not be that she's literally hallucinating him but that we are seeing her fear manifested as Michael Myers and watching the movie I got a little like I felt like oh there's so many jump scares of like oh it's Michael Myers oh no it's the guidance counselor it's Michael Myers oh no it's her son and they kept doing that but then I think Tyler you that's a really good read on it is that it's really to visualize that she being startled is ter- is genuinely terrifying for her and mm-hmm. not and and not knowing who the person who just appeared behind you or touched your shoulder is 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 such a scary thing for her and it could be read as like they just do a bunch of jump scares because it's a horror movie but i think that's a more uh uh potentially generous but also i think possible way of of reading the movie um I think it helps make that uh, lead up to the moment where Michael is uh, attacking uh, her son and uh, his girlfriend and they're, yeah. they're escaping and, and she's getting them through the door and she's like face to face with him through the glass. That's great. Yeah. I, I feel like if you don't have all of those kind of buildups and, and jump scares, that moment doesn't hit, hit as gotcha. hard. Sure. Yeah. No, that is a great moment where, and it's like cut nicely where it's just yeah. this, this, yeah, and it, and it hangs on that moment for the right amount of time, um, that you kind of go back and forth between the two of them. It's 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 pretty effective. A couple of things I wanted to hit on regarding Michael Myers. Uh, this movie kind of goes back to having a low kill count, like the first yeah. film, uh, and and the goriest deaths are really like uh, the ones in the, the opening, like Joseph Gordon Levitt having the escape. Through, the ice skates yeah. through his head. That's that's like the, woman, the glorious thing. Uh, Jumanji boy's girlfriend. She's strung up with a with a light bulb in her abdomen. Yeah, that yeah. one. I I had a hard time figuring out exactly what was going on. Yeah, like I knew he'd stabbed her, but then when she when Lori finds her, yeah, she's like suspended from the ceiling, but the light bulb is in her stomach. It was and it was lit. So I, I didn't yeah. quite get that. And that's that's the closest we get to kind of Tyler. What would you like of Michael's uh, shenanigans and trolling people of like I'm setting up these dead bodies. You're not going to be able to tell who this person he, even is by the time I'm done. It felt like he if, does. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say he does send Charlie back down dead through the dumbwaiter, which yeah, is kind of fun. Yeah. Um. He, this so one. I'll give him that. This one feels but, less inspired. It feels like art for hire. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, I know what they want. Uh, here, here, I just, this is for commission. It's just so I can, like, keep the loft, pay the rent on the loft that I use to make my real art. You know, it's... it's. Mm-hmm. I, I feel... It, yeah, it feels very workmanlike in that way. And, and it, I mean, it makes sense that the guy who directed this did the second and third Friday the, the 13th movies. Like, it feels very much like that. Like, it's very competently made, but it doesn't feel... Like it has a distinct visual voice or anything like that. There's a couple of moments right. where it's trying to evoke John Carpenter, Dean Cundy kind of cinematography with the way the camera's yeah. flowing, but it, it never really hits that. Yeah. It's a it's a much more clear and a overall more enjoyable uh like I said, like voice direction than I would say the last four, probably. <laughs> 
maybe five probably five <laughs> probably since the first one but yeah it's it is not necessarily amazingly done it's just yeah the oh hey it's amazing what film. you can do when you hit competence <laughs> yeah yeah uh i did want to talk a little bit about the the shenanigans behind the scenes with the mask mm. because they shot most of the michael myers scenes with a particular mask and it's like a very stark white mask that's very featureless like it doesn't really have a lot of um detail to it and they I, I don't know if it was miramax or who it was but they you know apparently the higher-ups were like oh this mask doesn't look good we need to change it it's like we already shot yeah most of the scenes with them mm. so they they had to go back to the drawing board and i think stan winston actually got involved to do that the redesign and basically what they said was okay since we've already shot most of this all of the michael myers close-ups we're going to do with the new mask and you can tell sometimes when it's cut, if you're looking for it, you can see the old mask. But I think for the most part, they do a decent job at kind of editing it properly so it's not distracting. But there's one particular scene that they didn't reshoot, and that's when Charlie, he's he's looking for the, um, the uh, Cork, bottle. Corkscrew. Yeah. And he pulls it out of the, uh, the sink, out of the drain, which is, I, I think, a, a, a neat scene. Um, and he turns around and Michael Myers is right that, there. Mm -hmm. Um, and they digitally add in details to the Michael Myers face. Like it, it looks like a cartoon. It's very, very fake looking. It's only on there for like a couple of seconds. So oh, I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if that. you guys missed it. Um, I don't know, but it's, it's, it. it's very odd. And for some reason they just, they can never get it right in these movies when it comes to the mask. Mm -hmm. and i think maybe in the opening sequence he has the mask from halloween six because they were just constantly bickering over yeah. what they should do and it's like can, can we not just like surely a halloween store has a a an official like licensed michael myers halloween mask at this point in 1998 can we yeah. not just use that i'm assuming the 2018 one is just a chris pine mask turned inside out right it's just Chris yeah. Pine. What? Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Turned inside out. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about the garbage disposal scene because he he's reaching in to get the corkscrew uh, because it's fallen in the garbage disposal because he has, I guess, like all all thumbs, whatever the phrase is. Um, and so he drops the corkscrew in the garbage disposal and he he's looking... And he looks up at the light switch uh, that turns on the garbage disposal and he like looks at it and he reaches down a little and he looks at it some more. And then like that scene goes on for 30 seconds of him being like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm watching you garbage disposal. I know you're going to turn. And I'm like, may maybe I'm crazy, but that's not like the most uncommon occurrence in the world to have like a spoon fall on the garbage disposal oh, yeah. that yeah. you need to go grab. Right. Like I'm not. I'm not alone in this, am I? No, no, this happened totally happened to me. <laughs> because if the garbage disposal is not on, you just yeah, you just grab the thing and you you pull it out, and that was very silly to me. But thankfully, I I was worried that that was gonna end with like him being like oh oh oh, and then Michael Myers turns it on, and obviously that's what the movie's setting up. The the movie's trying to make you be like oh, we know Michael Myers is right around the corner. Is he gonna is he gonna 
blend this dude's hand and then chop him up. And they don't do that, which is pretty fun because then he turns around and sees Michael Myers and it it ultimately works. But I thought that was a kind of a silly I <laughs> sequence. Maybe it was I, new I technology. Watch, but. <laughs> I, I need to watch the scene again because I I remember thinking it was him kind of reaching in and like he's looking away, almost like he's concentrating on trying to find it as opposed to looking at the light or the switch. Uh, I maybe could, so. I could be wrong. I don't remember. Well, his, the way, his garbage disposal was controlled by the internet. What? <laughs> I, it was basically like funded by a chat room. And so he was like, this stuff is scary. Britain, you're four years too early. We'll get there. I promise we'll get there. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> is Halloween Resurrection a follow-up? Yes. To, no, that's not the question I wanted to ask. Maybe it is. It is a follow-up to this. It is yeah. everything you wanted and more. Okay. <laughs> well, that's high praise. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, it, Tyler, <clears throat> did you want to address uh, the uh, script writing for uh, teenagers in horror films? I did, yes. <laughs> uh, why does every horror film, except one, which let me put a pin in that, every horror film... Um, well, slasher film, I should say, uh, that I personally have seen. I feel like it has at least one scene where some teens are talking and they're like, we're going to do all the sex. It's it's some variation <laughs> of that. It's some quote that just is nails on a chalkboard bad uh, yeah. about how them teens, they just can't get enough of intercourse. Like yeah. it, it, some it has to be shoved in there somewhere. And. I don't understand why we can't get writers who were not born in the forties to write these, these movies. Like I, right. can, can anybody else potentially take a, take a crack at trying to figure out what, te- I'm sure there are some more modern ones that do this really well. Um, and specifically, uh, this movie has the very bold choice of showing scream, uh, yeah. on a television that some of the teens are watching at one point. Scream two. Is it Scream 2? I believe so, because I think okay. it's uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and she's in the second one. Interesting. Okay. Um, but still, yeah, I think that is a franchise that uh, has much more effective like dialogue and probably overall better movies than this particular movie. Well, also, uh, you it, could it's a, it's a passing of the it, torch. It's like a, it's a wink and the nod, because in the, the sure. first Scream movie, they're showing Halloween on the TV. So it's, it's sure. Little, sure. We got gotcha. you. I feel like that would be a lot more effective in Halloween 2018. I'll sure. say. I think I think that like then you've got okay the the legacy of this movie has come because this movie Halloween Resurrection was 1998. This was 1998. Or sorry, Halloween Resurrection. God, the title. Uh, Halloween H2O. 20 years after the first Halloween and also Halloween two. Um, yep. That came out in 98. Correct. When it scream. One and two come out. Ninety six, I think, was the first scream, right? Yeah, I think it was ninety six, and I'm I'm not sure about the second one. That's why I was thinking it was the first one because I figured there wouldn't have been enough time to like. No. Scream Scream two was ninety seven, so it could be either of them. Um, <clears throat> but still, that's just so that's so soon to yeah. immediately be like, oh yeah, we can pay we're, we're buddies, we can pay homage to this film. We're we're both of similar caliber, and I'm like. <laughs> I am. 
I'm pretty sure that following Scream, the the screenwriter of that was brought on board to do some rewrites on this. Fascinating. Hmm. So it could be him. <laughs> there's a, a in the sure. Slenderman film from a few years ago, apparently there's a line in it where a bunch of the characters are having one of those classic teen conversations. Mm-hmm. If you had to be one age for the rest of your life, what would your age be? You know, teens are always talking about this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I'd want to be 30 because it's the whatever. And I'd want to be 21 drinking all the time. And apparently one girl says, I'd stay the age we are right now, which is a great way of not admitting, but also acknowledging that these are not teenagers playing these roles. And I find that so funny. And again, not how people actually talk. <laughs> yeah. I did appreciate some of the character quirks that, that some of the actors added, um, particularly with Josh Hartnett. One of the things that he kept, like he was very focused on, was constantly messing up his hair because uh, apparently uh, the, the hair and makeup people would always try and make it perfect and, and you know, quaffed and stuff. And like right before shooting, he would just mess it up. <laughs> um, and his logic for that was, when I was a teenager, when I was actually a teenager and like hanging out with kids and stuff, like nobody had like well kept hair or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So I feel like it sticks out for movie logic because everyone else looks fine. Sure. <laughs> but in terms of like an no. actual acting choice, I like it. Yeah. No, that is that is a good point, and I think it does work because I feel like overall the 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 four teens we focus on in this do look like teens. They look like they look like movie teens, teens not, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like they look more teen than most movie teens. Yeah, Cer- certainly of point. this type of movie. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like overall they look like. Yeah, I could, I could see somebody like that being in high school. Um, yeah, maybe trying a little too hard, but yeah, no, they, I, they more or less capture the right aesthetic. Yeah, I like Josh Hartnett. Uh, he was in a movie called Mozart and the Whale, and I remember him being really good in that. Um, and obviously Pearl Harbor you know, uh, nine time Academy Award winner, <laughs> Pearl Harbor. We'll um, get to it. We, we will. Is that a Halloween movie? Uh, I'm threatening it for one of our Thanksgiving episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween 2018 sequel is Halloween kills. Yeah, we're good. Look, uh, it, it's, I, it's Pearl it's, Harbor. It's either a Thanksgiving special or a Christmas special. You got to choose one or the it's, other, or we could split the movie up. Cause it's so uh, long. <laughs> this is, the 80th anniversary don't, of Pearl don't Harbor. do this to us. <laughs> we'll do Armageddon for one and Pearl Harbor for the other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like Josh Hartnett. And yeah, okay. I thought he worked in this. There's really, and I think we've we've made this uh, clarification. As goofy as these movies, past movies have been, and as poor as the characters have been, there haven't been a ton of performances that I've really disliked. Yeah. Um. But I feel like in this one, the cast, as you said, Alex, largely does get to do well. Like no one is so kneecapped by the material that they are not, you know, charming or or at least like like Michelle Williams doesn't really get to make much of an impression. And I think if it wasn't that she was Michelle Williams, I wouldn't really yeah. she wouldn't have registered much outside of me watching the movie and being like, "That's Michelle Williams." Yeah. Um. But like, yeah, she's you know she's fine in it for how little they give her to do 
I do feel that the movie has a very strong first hour because that's all just the character work in the buildup and there's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of uh, slasher stuff aside from the opening. Yeah. And then, you know, going along with, with Tyler, kind of your complaints about Michael Myers, I feel like most of the stuff when he's actually there is, it's not great. It's like slightly yeah. under par. And then we get the ending, which is absolutely wonderful. So it's it's like, it's just very weird. And in terms of g- giving everyone kind of chances to act or at least do something, like LL Cool J, I like the way they build up his character. I think it's a very, it's an interesting <laughs> idea having this, this security guard at this prep school who's writing erotic novels on the side to try and make it, <laughs> make it in, the, in, in his writing career. I, I, I think that's an interesting idea, but then he's just kind of, I, I appreciate that he's not killed, certainly, yeah. but the fact that he doesn't really get anything to do at the end when Michael Myers shows up. And I feel like that happens with a lot of the characters. Like, the fact that, it's kind of just Laurie at the end versus Michael makes sense to me, but we spend so much time developing the relationship between her and her son. And the fact that it's not the two of them kind of taking him mm-hmm. on, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but that would I be do like, think it's uh, interesting. That'd be like Shia did, LaBeouf helping Indy take down somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting though. Uh, kind of taking out Josh Hartnett's character the way they do where he kind of gets stabbed in the leg and he's kind of just useless for the rest of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I will point out, Alex, you mentioned that LL Cool J is trying to advance his writing career. Uh, he's doing that by writing erotic fiction. One of yeah. which I assume is, is like a, a sort of, I don't know, set in like the, the communism era. So it's like an erotic thriller called Halloween Red's Erection. But I don't know if, you know, <laughs> I think that was the idea behind it. Y'all are not laughing at it. That's a great joke. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with any that of this. I think we're, great I think we're both in shock. That is a man. Um, I could I could sell that to Gene Smart on hacks, and y'all look. And she look, wouldn't yell Britain, at me at all. Britain, I promise you, Joseph is 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 like rolling around on the floor right now. <laughs> as long as he's not driving. Um, <laughs> oh, the thing is, I will also say, talking about the final act and LL Cool J. And uh, fi- uh, weird fake outs. It is so hard for me to believe that Adam Arkin shoots him six times <laughs> and LL Cool J is knocked out. There's blood pouring out of him. And then later he's totally okay. And he's on the phone with his wife being like, I figured it out. I'm going to write a thriller. It's called Red's Erection. It won't be appreciated by Tyler and Alex, but I'm really excited about it. And then he goes off the <laughs> off screen and then you just hear him almost like it's ADR saying the bullet just grazed me <laughs> and i was like then how did all that blood get on the floor ll well yeah, that's so I, what's actually happened here is that um ll cool j is going to become the new uh host of the curse of thorn uh, uh it, it really is it is actually in continuity which i will say they do establish that she fakes her death for this. I don't know why she would abandon her child, but they do establish that she fakes her death from a car crash. Movie. True. Do they say it's from a car crash? I'm pretty sure they say it's a car crash. I could be wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on like a news clipping. The possibilities are there. Mm. This could be a this could be a Michael Myers who is controlled by Loomis Whoa. going after Lori. I'm just saying. 
I, I really want to imagine that in the editing room, they're deciding like, okay, we've got an ADR LL Cool J's final line. What's it going to be? It's either, all right, the bullet grazed me. I'm fine. Or it's, we have this audio of Donald Pleasant screaming <laughs> that we shoved in at the end of Halloween 6. <laughs> Hey, have you guys been to uh, LL Cool J's uh, Jewish campus organization, LL's Hillel? <laughs> you, you're just full of them tonight, aren't you? What oh, is this even man. related to? Just, what a, just comedy. This <laughs> <laughs> is related to having a good time with my friends. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good joke. I did want to... I did want to ask how y'all felt about the um the sequence with the mother and her daughter in kind of the the bathroom. Yeah, where Michael steals their uh the lady's keys. Yeah, and the woman just gives her daughter tissue paper for I'm not I don't think I want to know what reason. Um yeah, I I don't know. That was an interesting. I, I was glad that neither of those characters were killed. But it also I don't know. It it was sort of odd because Michael, I guess he's just trying, just getting their keys to take their car. That's the whole thing. But there's kind of a a moment where the woman like sees, sees him reflected in the mirror and they make eye contact. And then he just is like, it's, it's gross in here. And then he leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Even I hate Uh, the men's room. Bye. I, yeah, I, I also was like, yeah, I I think, I think Michael would probably kill that lady. I think that is. That is how uh, my Michael would normally approach the situation. <laughs> well, uh, Tyler, I don't know if you remember this. There is a very similar sequence in Halloween 2018 that is supposed to be an homage to this. And I think it handles it in a way that is a lot more uh, satisfactory <laughs> to to what we, we think, look for in Michael Myers. I think I remember this. So we'll talk about this it. This Michael later. does uh, pick somebody up with a small weapon when he stabs Adam Arkin and hoists him up. It's true. And I, I said all the stuff about Adam Arkin's kissing noises for comedy, but like, he's good in the movie. I like Adam Arkin. Mm -hmm. He's fine. You know, I I, I like him. I like his character. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad that he died the way he did. Um, just because he thought he had killed LL Cool J. So I was like, Oh, this, okay. So it's like, Oh, he killed him. So now he deserves it. Is that what we're (laughs) supposed to get from this? Yeah. Yeah, he also probably. dies thinking he killed him. So yeah, that's fun. But, but yeah, so well, let's talk about the ending. Um, there's <clears throat> there's more. There's like a, a familiar thing in these movies where someone's driving and Michael's on the hood of the car. Or he's in the whatever. Or he's in this case, he's in the back seat, and then he really run him well, over. Well, I feel like we should start with Laurie saying, oh, "All yes. right, I'm going back in to kill Michael." Yes, yes, yes. Um, because she grabs an axe, which is great. Yeah, good start. Good start. Big. Big plus for me. Big There's a great up. shot of her um, standing in the courtyard, I guess, of the school yeah. and then screaming Michael, which is a pretty yeah. good, pretty good moment. Lori has achieved the power of overcoming PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> basically. She's got a uh, flaming axe. Because she, she goes yeah. in and uh, ultimately tracks him down. This is where he does the weird thing where he drops from the ceiling. But then she does try and hack at him. Um and there's a sequence where she's constantly trying to fight back. She's like throwing knives at him and stuff. And eventually she stabs him six times in the chest. Uh, 
and then throws him off a balcony, which is pretty fun. She also, I think, stabs him with a flagpole at one point, which is pretty right. good. I think you're right. Uh, I, I like that it turns into more of her scrambling to find ways to fight back instead of her just running away. Um, again, still, I think all my problems with how Michael is moving and acting continue to apply to this, but I really like what she's up to during this sequence. Absolutely. Um, but all of this leads to them. Michael Myers is quote unquote dead and they're zipping him up in the body bag. And, but Lori knows that he's not actually dead. She knows that this isn't, that he can't be killed by traditional means. And so she pulls a gun on the, uh, uh, what are you called? Uh, court, not coroner, but you know what I'm talking about. The guys who are loading him up in the body bag. And Mm -hmm. she, um, she, she says, you know, load him into the van and then she steals the truck and she's driving away. And then Michael Myers gets out of the bag and, you know, oh my God, he's out of the bag. And then she like breaks real hard. He flies through the window, the, 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 the front of the window. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Windshield. And, um, so there's all that. And they tough tussle and scuffle and flip the car around and whatever. He eventually gets trapped. And there's, well, the- I feel it's important to note please. that, she dry like i was thinking okay he, she's gonna hit him and do like the halloween four thing and make him go flying off right but instead she hits him so that he's trapped on the front of the car the front of the van and then drives off the road yeah but immediately the van starts spinning it's it's not not that like my problem is that i feel like i was ready for a the van driving off the cliff sequence and just being like and like I thought we were going to get something like that. Sort of, sort of a, a Dr. Strangelove ending. Sure. You know? um, and instead, or maybe a, uh, crap, what's the, what's the one where they drive the car off into the, into the canyon? Thelma and, Thelma Louise. and Louise. Yeah. You know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's not what we get. The, the van just starts rolling down the hill very chaotically. Uh, and that annoyed me because I wanted to see a van go, go flying. <laughs> I wanted to see a sure. van go. So, so when she finally gets him trapped, he like reaches out to her and it's this like moment where he's, you know, trying to reach out to his sister and everything. And then she beheads him with an ax <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's great. And the head rolls end of movie. Mm-hmm. St- Stannis Baratheon wishes like, <laughs> or Brienne of Tarth wishes. And it's a one, it's a clean it is, yeah. slice. It is a chop. Horizontal chop right through. Oh, that is that is a finisher cinematic on Witcher Three. Mm. <laughs> like that is mm-hmm. a clean cut. It is great. Yeah, that was that was one of the uh, sticking points that Jamie Lee Curtis had when she was signing on. She was like, "I have to kill Michael Myers at the end. We have to finish this." Mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, they get to the end of filming, and uh, I don't know if I've actually mentioned the producer for all of these movies. He's he shows up at the beginning of all the opening titles. It's Mustafa Akkad. Yeah. Um, who I think helped finance the first movie, and then kind of over time he got more and more of the rights. Um, so he has a lot of creative control and obviously a lot of fi- financial control over the course of the movies. But it gets towards the end of production, and he's like, "No, I, you can't kill him." So, and we'll get to to resurrection. They came up with with a very ridiculous way to be like, "All right, there's a couple of things we're filming right now off to the side." He survives. It's fine. Nanotechnology. And, uh, uh, it's probably equally as dumb. 
an EMP brought it somehow Michael Myers is back. <laughs> but yeah, it's just this great moment. It's it's this great character moment for Laurie. Uh as for me as someone who does not Michael Myers is the bad guy. He's I don't want him to succeed. It was very cathartic for me. Um it was like a cool moment. It was good. Yeah. No, as as an if we're looking at this as a trilogy, yeah, having sure. that be kind of the final capper and like that's the last moment we're, yep. we're stuck with. Great. I, I think that is that is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Great stuff. I also noticed um they there's a they do a little play. They don't like repeat the Halloween theme whole cloth. They, they sort of they do. Remi- oh, oh, do they? Uh but finish your okay. Point, sorry. Well, I guess I guess then maybe I just notice it because they also have moments where they sort of do plays on the theme with like woodwinds and mm-hmm. everything. And it was John Ottman who I know y'all like because he did X X X X Boys X Men X Boys. Did he X do yes. people and no, that's not right. Did he do what else did he do? Because I, I know like he's someone I've really only heard about from y'all. But also uh, the additional music was by Marco Beltrami, who was great. <laughs> He was a great film composer. Yeah, that was uh, that was another one of the sticking points in the behind-the-scenes stuff that caused a lot of problems. Because apparently John Ottman was the sole composer mm. um, when they first started, and I don't, I haven't heard all of his score. I'd need to to see like comparisons, but apparently his score was every was very. It didn't fit the tone for like a slasher film. Like it was. Mm. It was like tubas and accordions. and I, I don't know if over the top is the right word because I still feel like the score is over the top. Sure. Um, yeah. The Marco Beltrami, I believe he also did maybe all of the Blade films. Um, he's done a lot of things. Yeah. And he has that very, that very 90s, kind of like an evolu- evolution of the Alan Silvestri style uh, from back in the 80s. He's got that very 90s thing of like, big pops and like riffs and things, things uh, flying up out of nowhere and being very energetic and stuff. And that it doesn't usually work for me that well. And it didn't really work for me that well in this one. I liked the stuff where the theme was sort of woven in. Yeah. And I kind of wish they had saved the, because they do replay the full theme and it's when Michael is walking down the hallway after, uh, I forget it. Maybe maybe this is after he kills uh Adam Arkin. Um, but they play the full theme with him walking down the hallway, and it's a full shot of him, which is probably why I didn't like it very much that they used it because I don't like the way Michael Myers looks in this, yeah. and so it just did not land for me. I think it would have been more fun if um, Laurie like it had started playing with Lo- when Laurie was going back into the. Uh, complex or something to that effect, which I think they do something to that effect in t- Halloween 2018. So I, I feel like we'll probably be referencing back to this movie a lot in that one because I think it's going to do a lot of things that this one wants to do, but more effectively. Um, but yeah, so I, I would be very curious to know what that original score was like and if that was a true, oh yeah, this doesn't work at all, or if, if it's a case where the producers were meddling and probably would have been better to leave it alone. This doesn't sound like the music from Scream. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be very curious. And John Ottman's had just like a very, very weird career because he's not just a composer. He's also an editor. Oh, that's right. Because mm. he won the editing uh, Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. Which, 
less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah. The good for good job for trying, buddy. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I thought he'd done something else, but it seems like it's pretty much all the X-Men films that I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, the big thing for me, and uh, obviously the, the movie is, is not great in and of itself, but I, I love his score to Superman Returns. I think that oh, does a wonderful job of mixing in John Williams' score with with uh, Ottman's new stuff, and I th- I think it all works beautifully. So, and of course his X Men March is like my favorite thing ever. So there's yeah. that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. <sighs> yep. <laughs> oh, there's a funny part at the beginning of the movie after the guys the the cops come to investigate the burglary. That has been called in. Also, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes into the... This has got another day for night. He goes into the house, and it's like the middle of the afternoon. He looks around yeah. the house for a few minutes, steals some beers, comes back out of the house, and it's like 9 p.m. Um, but anyway. How long does it take for you to grab beers out of the fridge? Because for me, it's like 10 hours. It's uh, taken me uh, 32 years and counting, my friend. <laughs> almost <laughs> almost 33 years. Uh, you gotta open the fridge. You gotta lean over. You gotta look in the fridge. Yeah, it's a whole. You gotta decide which beers you want. Yeah, that's like five body four parts that there. are in there. You gotta choose, um, and it's like, oh, there's some peanut butter. Maybe I just want to get some peanut butter. Place. Why do you want peanut butter in the fridge? In the fridge. <laughs> I don't know. Mmm. Ooh, ooh. Neanderthal peanut spackle. Delicious. <laughs> You know, people say, do I want crunchy or smooth? I want crunchy smooth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want. (laughs) Uh, I also like the idea of just being like, don't don't go for a beer. Have some peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Spoon it right up. I think think choose the alcoholics, choose Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding, Alex. We know you. We you know we love you. So even though you keep peanut butter in the fridge, <laughs> if you if you guys couldn't tell, I don't have peanut butter very often. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is. <laughs> I'm not but, even uh, sure I've seen it in real life. <laughs> is this made from animal products? <laughs> but so, so so after Joseph Gordon Levitt goes through this whole uh, pageant of of Ordeal. acquiring mm-hmm. beer, uh. And he's is killed and everything. The officers, one of whom is Bo Billingsley from Cowboy Bebop, goes in. Mm. They're, they're looking. At, one of the other is Matt Winston from Stuff in the '90s, and they're uh, poking around. There's a guy outside who's like, "Oh hey, looks like you hit the hit the uh, Jeopardy Daily Double over here. There's some murders or whatever." And then they're like, "Oh look at that!" And then Michael Myers just drives away from them. And I was like, did they not see if they just discovered there's a crime that happened in this house and then a car leaves, they weren't like, hey, stop. They're just like, ah, what people do. <laughs> Crazy world. What will this, this wild town think of next, you know? <laughs> Here in Langdon, Illinois. Never a dull moment. <laughs> well, anyway. That's Langdon for you. <laughs> With our with our hockey hockey playing beer snob children, <laughs> you want some cold peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> we that's why snap our peanut butter right off of the jar. That's 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 the hidden subplot from Halloween Six. It's not just they're trying to revive Halloween as a holiday; they're also trying to to introduce uh, refrigerated peanut butter. <laughs> We're bringing Haddonfield what... out of the Stone Ages, boys. Well, Haddonfield isn't in the movie. What, uh... they, don't, they don't use Haddonfield. 
Is it not Haddonfield in the opening scene? I think scene? it's Langdon. Okay. No, it's, it says Langdon. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know what the implication there is. Like, what yeah. what happens to Michael between these the second right. and Resurrection? What do they do with his body? Where Where does it go? I want to say that Resurrection does give a half-baked answer. Sorry. No, I keep saying Resurrection because I've now convinced myself this movie is called Halloween Resurrection. I think because I just don't want to keep referring to the actual title of <laughs> I mean, Halloween it does, 20 years later. It does fit as, as a name for the movie. Yeah. What part? Halloween Resurrection? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think it actually does fit as a title for this movie. Sure. My point is, what happens between Halloween 2 and this movie? That like where where does Michael's body go? That's that's what I'm saying. Like the the convenience of like oh I guess Laurie's He's son back. is now 17. What was he doing that whole time? But like uh, he he killed his sister successfully, and he did not kill Laurie successfully. So why would he? And, and presumably no, they say I, no. Do we know when Laurie's birthday is? <laughs> it has to be. Based on what what I'm I've gathered, it is during the seventeenth year of of this person being alive. The Halloween that falls in that year is the year in which he attacks. Well, she's a Taurus rising. We, I mean, we've got to infer. So, does he give up because it's not Halloween? I think so. I guess. I guess he doesn't. I guess Sam Hain doesn't work anymore if it's not no. Halloween. So he's like, all right, well. I'm thinking he gonna... was using Olsen twins in Passport to Paris logic, where he's like, I don't... Sam Hain, 17, Sam Hain, 17. Yeah, close enough. New new decade, new Sam Hain. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, honestly, yeah, you know what it was? He was he was Wang Chung, and man, it was the 80s. He was out there, you know, uh, doing lots of coke and voting for Ronald Reagan, like doing his 80s stuff. Hitting the dance force. Yeah, for uh, sure. You know. Teasing out the hair, doing the Lisa in the early nineties. He was he was Forrest Gumping it up, man, hitting all the mm-hmm. hitting all the uh the the great historical events and taking credit for it. I have a lot of problems with Forrest Gump. But <laughs> um Yeah, yeah, that's what he was he was he was living he was living life, Alex. He was living. S- I mean, I'm the one who's questioning. Tyler, this, so. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so used to. I'm so used to defending things to Alex. <laughs> Just a reflex at this point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. I'm so Alex. I'm sorry that we've also resurrected the being mean to you trope of the <laughs> podcast. Look, at least it's for a movie that uh, we're not on opposite sides of the fence on on, true, on a lot true, of this. True, true. It's not like I'm having to defend Alien Three against you two, okay? Right. Yeah, <laughs> which we have had to do on two different podcasts. Actually, Alex, we have Alien Three backstage right now. <laughs> I can talk more about Alien Three. <laughs> well, that's all we've got for today. Speaking uh, of which, uh, Tyler, what is your grade for Halloween H two O? It's not a new millennium. It's still the old one. Uh, 1998, whatever. <laughs> Y2K. C- Gotta wish they C did plus. a Y2K, Michael Myers. My 2K. <laughs> C-, C-, C plus. C plus? Okay. I am punting on my grade. That is that is the punting of grades. That is like, <laughs> this movie is fine. Like, a, if it's a C, it means I put some thought into it and decided there are specific things that make it land on the perfect average. C plus is like, I'm probably being a little mean, 
but I also don't care enough to be nice. <laughs> what did I give Halloween to? I know I retconned it. What did I retcon it to? D plus. I will give this a C minus. Again, I think this movie, if I had just watched this movie in 1998 and had seen all the other, I I might like it less, but I really think it benefited from me having watched so many movies that I I did not connect with. Um, And maybe it's just the Jamie Lee Curtis touch. I don't know. He's great. Alex, why did I give Halloween to? C plus. Well, there we go. I'd say that tracks pretty well. Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to follow your lead, Tyler. I'm going to give it a C plus, And I also gave that to Halloween, too. Yeah. C plus, which is also this, which is the same director, right? It's all Rick Rosenthal. No, Rick Rosenthal does the resurrection. Oh, wait, who did this one? Steve Miner, who did oh, Friday the 13th, okay. two and three. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. OK, who did Reservoir Dogs? Uh, David Lynch. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> there are literal clowns and jokers to the left and right of him in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Oh, I love David Lynch. Um, speaking of movies, I don't have a movie to recommend this week. Um, there you go. But what I do have to recommend is something that I am really excited about because it is, I'm recommending a TV show, the second season of which... Uh, premiered today as we're recording it and that is a docu-series called love on the spectrum uh this is a netflix show it's an australian uh docu-series uh imported to netflix um i really really love it it is a it follows various um young adults in their like 20 somethings who are autistic and their uh experiences with with love and dating so a lot of it is single people going on their first dates and figuring that out. Although uh, they, in the first season, they do also have some people who have been dating and are in relationships and live together. And it's kind of examining what, what their lives are like. Uh, The show does a really great job of not being exploitative, but is rather about yes, highlighting some of the particular uh, thorns people uh, who are autistic might be experiencing as they date, but is really just about like, Look, dating's hard. <laughs> like, it's just tough. Um, I, I've i been single for three years and some change, and, like, I've been out on the dating scene in that time, and there are many points in this show where I'm like, uh, yep, yep, uh-huh, I get that one. Sure, yep, been there. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of me just, like, trying to psychically link with the... It's largely straight couples, but there are queer couples as well, like, to the, the men in the straight dating situations just being like, Road brother, I got you. I'm with you. <laughs> yes, good, graceful exit. Love that. Store that away. Um, and uh, I think if I could compare it, to, so I, I think that the main hindrance people would have with this show is that they would, they're afraid it would make them too sad, or they're afraid that it would be too awkward, or uh, for lack of a better word, cringy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is awkward to watch sometimes because dating is awkward. And it's not like a dating reality show where they get a bunch of like hot singles and then, you know, edit it because it's goofy. Yeah. It's people. And like, also probably write them lines. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like this is very much like there are interview sections, but it's very much about like standing back and just kind of watching these conversations happen. And I think it does a really good job of capturing the thrill of going on a, your first date with somebody and the excitement and the fun kind of nerves of it and the genuine nerves and the, the sadness that can come with that. And I, I, it is not a depressing show for me at all. 
Uh, I, it, there are some awkward parts because of course there are, um, but like it's human. And I feel like in a way that, that kind of heightens the whole experience. Uh, I think if I could compare it tonally to anything that I've seen, it would be great British baking show um, because it's, ultimately a show where like yeah there are awkward points and you get sad because like oh i wanted that person to stick around longer or oh i'm tense because i really want them to do well and they're crying and they're not doing well and oh i feel for them but like ultimately it's all very positive and you just fall in love with some of these people like my boy mark who i just adore i believe he's come back for the second season which i'm, I'm really psyched to see him again uh, i just watched the first episode today and yelled a lot <laughs> um <laughs> in a very positive way uh, I just find it so delightful. There's five episodes in the first season, and I think six in the second. It's it's just a good time. One of them in the first season is a big James Bond fan, so Alex, there you go, buddy. You have a friend um, that you can talk to in the TV show. Uh, and that's my in. Yeah, one of them loves dinosaurs, so that's my guy. Um, yeah, it's a really charming, lovely thing. Also, it's Australian, so that's great. <laughs> we all like hearing about that. And there's just like really cool places they go and it's i don't know i just find it very touching and fun and it is on netflix and it's called love on the spectrum i highly recommend it who else tyler you got something no (laughs) (laughs) this week i recommend the character beta ray bill oh yeah go find some beta ray bill he's not been in much I've been I've been recently digging in. I've been getting into the backstory. Yeah. Uh really really trying to figure out the the depths behind this this lovable horse face character. <laughs> but he makes the uh, most of when he's there. Exactly. Uh, yeah, like when he shows up it's like why why don't why don't you use him more Marvel? <laughs> when he shows up he's the best he's the best part. Because he's I was just, there was some episode, I can't remember what episode it was where I was re-listening to it recently and we I made some comment about beta ray bill showing up and you were like beta maybe we were talking about godzilla versus like fighting Ghidorah or something and you and tyler said beta ray bill would kill him (laughs) and and then you said because he's noble (laughs) and it was great it's so funny i have no recollection of this but also it does resonate yeah with my uh inner thoughts you're like and it would be fine because he's noble (laughs) yes it was it was very good accurate Alex, what do you I, have? What horse I, I, thing do you have? I feel like we should make Tyler's just placeholder answer just always. <laughs> Beta Ray Bell. The perennial, perennial, here come the sequels, stamp of approval yes. for Beta Ray Bell. Correct. <laughs> um, for my recommendation, uh, I went into my personal movie collection and rewatched the film Fury. Mm. Uh, the David Ayer uh, World War II tank movie starring Brad Pitt uh, Michael Pena, John Bernthal, Shia LaBeouf, and Logan Lerman. It's like a a version of Suicide Squad in a way, but it's like a thousand times better. It does it does feel like his audition for Suicide Squad in terms mm-hmm. of having a group of uh, duplicitous characters who ultimately are are dispensable s- stuck in this uh, oh. position where they are ultimately kind of expendable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Logan Lerman is kind of the the new guy who's forced to join this tank crew and he's kind of a, he has no experience with war and it's all about kind of the nuances of that. And uh, these guys who have suffered quite a lot and 
uh, trying to deal with them and, and the terrible things that they do, but also the humanity within them. Does anyone have a boomerang? You know, I was going to say no, but then I think there's a special extended director's cut, <laughs> an air cut, if you will. Of course. Does any and that's the character of Jai Courtney, who was cut by producers at the last minute. <laughs> Are there allusions to a deal that has not been seen or discussed for the entire duration of the film? There's a lot of explosions, so yes. Okay, okay. Can Brad Pitt climb anything? <laughs> and is that <laughs> exemplified or not? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, I, I feel like you could look at the, the film's poster, or you even look at, at, at kind of the the way the film is uh, designed in terms of makeup and stuff like uh, Brad Pitt, like he looks kind of like, it's almost like a video game character in a way. Like he's got the scars on his face. It's like, he's the cool rugged soldier guy who knows what he's doing. But I, I feel like it does a very wonderful job of injecting humanity in all of the characters. Like yeah. there's, there's scenes where Brad Pitt has to be a leader and he's, he's, kind of holding himself together in conversations. Then he purposefully walks away and then he starts like breaking down mm. and like shivering and like he can't even hold the cigarette properly because he's 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 trying to to uh recover from yeah. from all the horrible stuff that's just happened. Like I, I I think it's it's very well done and it's definitely one of the better um World War II films in terms of like I know we have a lot of World War II films that aren't really about the action or about the like war stuff like uh imitation game is one that that kind of sure. comes to mind um but in terms of like actual like soldiers in the middle of war like and all the horrible things that happened i think it's one of the better ones that have come out in the past several years and i don't know how you go from suicide squad or from fury to suicide squad yeah i i i don't i don't get it but <laughs> it's very good <laughs> cool man i like brad pitt he's a good actor that's and Shia good, LaBeouf, yeah. Shia LaBeouf pulled a tooth out for it or something. Oh, Whatever. right. I remember that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'd been eating so much cold peanut butter. He, that was his <laughs> kind, of, kind of came out on his own. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty if good, you guys. Hear you want us uh, talk more about cold peanut butter? You can find us online yeah. at herecomesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at sequels. You can email us at herecomesequels at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Amazon Music. We're on all the stuff. Yeah. Um, next week, we will discuss Frozen Salsa. <laughs> I've been Alex. <laughs> uh, they're called Spicy Popsicles. I've been Britain. I've been Tyler. Uh the actual thing we're doing next week is talking about Halloween Resurrection, and you're having a happy Halloween that will need not be resurrected uh, next week. From Google, from nationalpeanutboard.org, an open jar of peanut butter stays fresh up to three months in the pantry. After that, it's recommended to store the peanut butter in the fridge, where it can maintain its quality for another three to four months. If you don't refrigerate, oil separation can occur. I've been Alex, yet again. <laughs> <laughs>